There's no such thing as a private and individual relationship with God. That doesn't exist. More on that in a second. Um, we were supposed to hear from our friend Nathan Hoag tonight, uh, but his improv troupe had an emergency Zoom meeting, and uh, not wanting to break the rules of improv, he yes-anded them. So I'm running the ship tonight. Uh, we're continuing through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, and we come to this really well-known section, uh, which makes up most of chapter 5. I want to give you a quick overview of this whole section uh, before we do a deep dive into a really specific part. Um, Jesus begins this section of chapter 5 talking about how he has not come to abolish, but to fulfill or complete the law. And he does that by kind of going through different parts of Jewish law. And each time he addresses something, he, said, he says, you've heard it said, and then whatever the Jewish law is, but I say to you, and then he expands or um, clarifies what this was meant to be. So for example, he says, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He does this for a bunch of different things. Um, and it's easy to read this as Jesus uh, replacing or erasing Jewish law or, or even expanding Jewish law to the point where it's even harder than it already was. But I think what Jesus is trying to do is show that the point of the law was not a checklist of things to do or not do um, to be considered righteous, but instead was about a reorientation of our hearts. Jesus shows that the, the law is not about behavior modification. It's meant to be internalized so that our hearts are oriented toward love. What good is not murdering someone if you still hate them? What good is not committing adultery if you're still filled with lust? The law was ultimately supposed to be about our hearts, not just our hands. We can reverse engineer all day our behavior looking like our hearts are right. But when our hearts are actually right, when they're oriented towards love, we don't have to reverse engineer our behavior. Our behavior flows from our hearts. I encourage you to read this entire section chapter, uh, in chapter 5, verses 17 through 48. It's not very long, but it's really challenging, especially if you read all these things as new laws that we have to live up to. But remember, Jesus is talking about helping us see past simple behavior modification, and using the law as a checklist um, toward righteousness, and instead seeing how the law fosters a posture and orientation of our hearts towards love. Read this section. Uh, if it sparks any questions, send them to me. I would love to chat about it more with you. What I want to talk about tonight is a part of what Jesus says when he's talking about murder. Uh, it totally caught me off guard and surprised me, um, it's this little detail that points to the truth that there is no such thing as a completely private and individual relationship with God. Let me show you what I mean. Um, again, this is Matthew 5, and we're starting at verse 21. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you are on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. Okay, pause here for a minute. Um, here Jesus is essentially saying, simply restraining from um, physically murdering someone isn't the ultimate point of the law that says, thou shall not kill. What good is not killing someone if you still hate them? What good is not killing someone if you still use your words to damage them? 
if you still hold anger and bitterness and resentment in your heart towards them, that is just as damaging to your soul as killing them would be. And your words can still be damaging and destructive towards them. The point is not simply don't kill people. The point is a reorientation of our hearts away from hate toward love. If your, if your heart towards someone is oriented in hate rather than love, don't pat yourself on the back for not murdering them. Your thoughts and words against them are still just as damaging to your soul. Picking back up in verse 23. So if you enter your place of worship and about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge a friend has against you, abandon your offering, leave immediately, go to this friend and make things right. Then, and only then, come back and work things out with God. Whoa. There is so much here. And it's really easy to gloss over it. Let's talk about this. Jesus here is painting a picture of someone in the temple about to make a sacrifice to God. Now, in Jesus's time, the Jewish people went to the temple to offer sacrifices to God in order to make things right with him, to atone for sins, and in doing so, gain right standing with God again. This was the thought. As you can imagine, doing this is not just pretty important. It's the most important thing right standing with God. I mean, there are potentially eternal consequences at stake here. And Jesus says in that moment, if you remember a grudge someone has against you, if you remember someone who is holding on to something against you, stop what you're doing and go make it right with them. Reconciling with this person is the priority over reconciling with God. Wow. God is actually subordinating our standing with him to our standing with others. Through Jesus, here God is saying, it's more important for you to go reconcile with this person than it is to reconcile with me right now. It's more important for you to make it, uh, make things right than it is to worship me, at least worshiping in this way. Um, I think reconciling with people, the people in our lives is an act of reconciliation and worship to God. And that's kind of the point here. Our relationship with God does not exist in a vacuum separate from our relationships with each other. There is no such thing as a completely private and individual relationship with God. Our relationships with each other affect our relationship with God, just as our relationship with God affects our relationships with each other, or at least it should. There is no such thing as reconciliation with God that doesn't include reconciliation with others. But here's the thing I never noticed before this week. I've always heard and thought that specifically in this part of scripture, Jesus talked about us reconciling with people that we are harboring bitterness or resentment towards. Like if we're in the temple, in Jesus's example, and we think of someone that we're still angry with to go and make things right with them. But that's not what Jesus says at all. He says, if you suddenly think of a grudge that someone else has against you, not something you have against them, but something someone else has against you, stop what you're doing and go make it right. It's not actually about you at all. It's about loving the other person. He also doesn't say anything about whether it's a legitimate grudge or not. If someone is holding something against you, whether you actually did something wrong or they just perceive things to be that way, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of who is right and who is wrong, regardless of all the details that always go into any kind of grudge being held, stop what you're doing and go make it right. Now put this in context with what Jesus just said about murder. 
Jesus suggests that resentment and bitterness, ultimately anger, is just as damaging as murder. And then he describes the scene in the temple, uh, leaving worship to go reconcile ourselves with someone who is holding on to anger against us. Someone who is at risk of damage on the scale of murder. All of this suggests that the truest expression of our standing with God and love for God is seen through how we treat others. And our hearts should be so oriented in love for one another that we go out of our way and prioritize releasing someone else from any kind of resentment or bitterness that they're harboring against us. We should be so concerned about one another that we should actively protect each other from anger by doing what we can about anger that's directed toward us. I'll say that again. We should be so concerned about one another that we should be actively protecting each other from anger by doing whatever we can about anger that is directed toward us. We should love others so much that we go out of our way to protect their hearts from anger that is just as damaging as murder. There is no such thing as a private, individual relationship with God. You express your relationship with God through how you care for others. If you're aware of someone who is at risk of damaging themselves because of anger that they're holding against you, don't wait for them to bring it to you. Don't wait and allow it to fester and grow. Instead, in love, make the first move and reconcile with them. This is a radical kind of love. A love that is so deep that it proactively addresses danger in others. Even when we are the target of someone else's hate, we're called to respond in love by making the first move toward reconciliation and hopefully helping free them of their hate. I don't know about you, but this is not my default posture, especially when I know someone is holding something against me. I usually take one of three stances. First, I think if they have something against me, they can talk to me about it if they want to address it. Otherwise, it's not my problem. Another posture I take is to get mad and defensive. And then I start harboring my own resentment towards the person. Um, and I sometimes even cut them off in my heart. Though I don't think I've ever actually thought these, this exact phrase, I think something along the lines of, well, I guess they're dead to me. Which is really interesting given Jesus' connection of resentment and murder. Um, the third posture I take is to try to reconcile with them. But honestly, even on my best days, my attempts at reconciliation are usually about me. I feel bad or uncomfortable or my life is being negatively affected by their resentment and I want to alleviate my own guilt or discomfort. Now, I don't think this is always totally wrong. In fact, I think there's a lot of good in this. But my point is, it's extremely rare that I've sought reconciliation with someone out of love for them and a desire to protect them from their resentment of me. That is such an interesting and inspiring and challenging shift to make. But it makes so much sense the more rooted I am in my relationship with God, so the more rooted I am in my relationship to love itself, the more oriented my heart should be toward love. The kind of proactive love that is so concerned for the health and well-being of people around me that I go out of my way to move toward them, especially when they hate me. It takes a lot of maturity and security and humility to have love that sees beyond someone's hate and still acts to care for them. But this is truly the Christ-likeness I desire for myself and for all of us. What a beautiful reflection of God's love, 
uh, to each other and the world it would be if we as a community were defined by this kind of love. Mm. Now to wrap up, I want to say a quick word about reconciliation. It takes two people to reconcile. If you haven't already, you will run into a situation where the other person is simply not willing to reconcile. Maybe they're not ready. Maybe they have other issues that they need to address um, that are currently keeping them from being able to let go of their anger. You can only do so much. Make the first move. Ask for forgiveness where necessary. If they aren't willing to meet you there, it's okay. They may be ready at some point. They may be ready someday. They also may eventually forgive you and let go of their anger, and you never find out about it. Even if they never let go, even if the relationship is never reconciled, you've still moved toward them in love. All you can do now is remain open to them and resist developing any kind of your own resentment towards them. Again, whether their bitterness and resentment towards you had any um, truth in it, whether you actually did something wrong or not, or they just perceive things this way, whether their resentment and bitterness towards you was fair at all, it doesn't matter. You've still moved towards them in love and tried to reconcile. Show them the grace that you want and forgive them for not being able to reconcile with you. Now, maybe someone has been coming to mind for you during this talk. What would stepping out in love toward them look like this week? How can you reflect God's radical love to your strained or estranged and damaged relationships this week? There is no such thing as a private and individual relationship with God. Your relationship with God does not exist in a vacuum separate from your relationships with others. Your relationship with God is deepened. It's worked out and it's fulfilled in how your heart is oriented towards others, which goes so much deeper than simply not murdering them, but in loving them so deeply that you proactively protect them from murdering you in their hearts. This is love. This is God. May we all grow in maturity security, humility, and love. May we all become proactive protectors of each other's hearts.